Hello, listeners. I'm Nathan Ackerman. Welcome back to another edition of Talkin' Troy. This week, we'll be talking about the weekend game at Notre Dame, where the Trojans took yet another loss. Talkin' Troy co-host Amanda Sturgis couldn't be here this week, but she'll be back on the next episode of Talkin' Troy in two weeks. Amanda, Aiden, and I were out in South Bend all weekend covering the game. We only got back this morning and we're pushing 30 hours of no sleep, so I can't promise this podcast will be awesome and all of my energy will be entirely manufactured. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Good stuff. We love that. (laughs) All right, so Aiden, I want to get into this uh, 30-27 to loss that USC took at Notre Dame this weekend. Any... um, Initial thoughts, what, what, what was your biggest takeaway from, from uh, last night's game? Well, yeah, the reason that they lost the game was that second quarter uh, where Notre Dame scored 17 points, I believe, uh, as opposed to USC's three. Uh, no, no, USC did not score in, in the second quarter. Uh, they scored in the first quarter, but basically the, Notre Dame went into halftime up 17-3. to three. They had that 51-yard touchdown on the, uh, the fake pitch that went the other way, the, the whatever you call it, the misdirection play. Um, And, you know, that was really where USC lost this game because they really outplayed the Irish for most of the rest of this game, as you kind of mentioned. And in the recap, uh, the offense kind of found its its groove in the second half uh, and went on a 24 to 10 run towards the end of that game. But, uh, you know, not enough in the end to overcome a team as good as Notre Dame. Yeah, I think one of the one of the biggest things that I that I noticed was you know, one of the main reasons why that second quarter was so lopsided was, you know, Notre Dame really found success against something that USC had done pretty well stopping the rest of the or the the whole season before this game, and that's uh, running up the middle. And I think, you know, Notre Dame it was just playing and play out. There would there would be like a third and long, and they would just run it up the middle, and it was the right play call because it would work almost every time. So I think, you know, overall, I would say. Well, a win would have certainly been welcomed. It was an encouraging game for USC. I think, you know, Clay, Clay Helton talked about in the post-game press conference that if they play like that the rest of the season, they have a very good shot at winning a Pac-12 title. I tend to agree with that. The only question is, you know, can they play as well as they did in that second half for the rest of the season? And I guess only time will tell. Yeah, my uh, my main point in my column, which comes out on Monday, by the way, make sure you check that out, <laughs> dailytrojan.com. <laughs> Uh, was that I just have no idea what this team is really about anymore. I have Every time I think I have a beat on them, they just do something that completely switches it up, and I have no idea what to expect from this team. Uh, I thought going into the game that there was a chance that they would get blown out like they did two years ago against Notre Dame in South Bend, and that was kind of how it was going in the first half there. Um, and then somehow everything just completely switched up, whether it was – you know, USC doing great things on offense or Notre Dame kind of shooting themselves in the foot at times uh, with some mistakes. But I, I I don't know, Nathan, what do you make of this team? Because I just, I really don't understand who they are, what they are, what kind of caliber team we're looking at it week in and week out. Yeah, I'm kind of in this, in the, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I really don't know what to make of this team. I think, you know, they, they, they go out, they play an impressive game against Utah, then they come into Washington, then you're thinking, you know, maybe this is the start of something big, and they come out with a very poor performance against the Huskies. With the third-string quarterback, With the third-string quarterback, sure, but they didn't play a great game all, all around, and certainly they didn't play a complete football game. And then they come out against, you know, the, the Fighting Irish, and they, 
you know, coming into the game, you think they're probably going to get blown out. Then after that first quarter, you're like, they might have a shot. Then after the second quarter, you're like, they're going to get blown out. Then the rest of the game, you're like, they might have a shot. And it comes down to one play, one drive, one drive where USC just needed one stop, you know, to hold them to a field goal or, or less. It was the, it was the, it was the Notre Dame touchdown drive at the, toward the end of the fourth quarter where, you know, if USC had just held them to three points or obviously none, they would have had a chance to uh, win that game and the touchdown that they ended up scoring. Of course, it could have played out differently, but that would have given them a 27-26 lead, even if they had held them to a field goal. So I think, you know, that that certainly wasn't the best thing to see. You know, the defense not really stepping up when they needed to most, but I think, you know, they're, they, they were playing a really good team. And I think, you know, as, as Helton said, if they if they play like that, they'll do some great things. I just think there's really no way of telling if they will. And I guess the only thing we can do is hope they stay healthy and hope that, you know, everybody contributes as much as they can. And we'll kind of see where this season goes, play it by ear, I guess. Yeah, I think one of the other things that you kind of touched on was Helton saying that they control their own destiny in the Pac-12. Uh, the, keep in mind, everyone, they still only have one Pac-12 loss. They've lost to BYU and Notre Dame, but their only Pac-12 loss is to Washington. So they're still in a really good position to be the best team in, in the Pac-12 South that's kind of up in the air at this point. They have that massive tiebreaker over Utah, which yeah. projects to be the, you know, the, other, the other team that's really in, in contention for it, along with Arizona State, uh, who USC will be playing later this season. So it's, it's important to just keep in mind that they still have a chance to do something pretty good and, and something that fans kind of expect year in and year out from this team. Uh, but also on the topic of, of future optimism, what did you think of, of Keaton Slovis' performance? Because I thought he, although he didn't have the greatest stats in the first half, uh, it wasn't really his fault from what I could see, uh, the stuff that happened in the first half. And then he really played very well in the second half. Yeah, I thought he played really well. I mean, he hadn't played in three weeks. He was coming off of a concussion. You know, he's playing on the road against the number nine ranked team in the country. That has you know, all the recipe in the world for a disappointment. And he really, he really kind of um, responded well. I thought all throughout the game, he made these throws where at first I was like, what are you doing throwing that ball? Who are you trying to find? And somehow it would end up in somebody's hand, usually Amon Ross St. Brown. But, you know, I thought he played well. And I thought it was a, it was definitely an encouraging sign moving forward because they're going to need him. They're going to need him a lot. You saw what happened in the, in the uh, Washington game when, you know, the passing game was just not there. They weren't making good reads. They weren't making good throws. They weren't executing. They weren't finishing red zone drives. So I just thought, you know, maybe if they can get that moving, the rest of their offense will kind of fall fall into place as it did in the second half of that game. And, you know, with the, with the playmakers that SC has, I thought, you know, the second half they played some really good offense and Michael Pittman was basically a non-factor. So if they can get him more involved too – I mean, you know, this the offense can can be one of the best in the Pac-12. It's just, you know, can they can they put together an entire four quarters and can the defense do their part too? I would hesitate to put a ton of blame on the defense just because they played astoundingly well in that first quarter, especially. They just really got after Notre Dame, and um, if it weren't for some, you know, issues with punt coverage and trying to down. Three different punts, I think, went into the end zone that could have been downed inside the Notre Dame five. Uh, we would have seen, I think, even better results yeah. from from them. Yeah. Maybe even like a turnover deep that that deep in, in Irish territory that could have turned turned the game around. Um, so you know the defense obviously didn't have a good second quarter, didn't have a good fourth quarter either. But 
I would just I would hesitate to put all the blame on the defense because there's only so long that they're going to be able to hold down a, a team as good as the Irish with the offense not really doing anything until well after midway through the game. And uh, Nathan, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Uh, whatever you would call it, a skirmish. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it was serious enough to be a fight, but, you know, did that say, that thing at halftime, did that say something to you about USC's uh, intensity or or maybe just how, how hard they were taking it, getting it kind of slapped around by the Irish in that second quarter? I honestly loved it. I loved everything everything about it. I thought, you know, obviously they were very frustrated by the terrible second quarter, and I thought, you know, maybe they needed a little spark to get them going against their rival, and I thought... You know, there are many ways to do that. I guess this was one of them, and it seemed to have worked. I mean, nobody was seriously injured, so I guess we can be thankful for that. Not I guess, we can definitely be thankful for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought they responded well. I thought, you know, it was it was clear that whatever lack of execution they had in that game, it wasn't for a lack of effort. And I thought, you know, heart is, I mean, Clay Helton talks about it all the time kind of starts getting annoying after a bit but he definitely has a point that this team has a lot of heart you know they um they 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 play hard they're competitive they battle all throughout the game and I thought you know that was maybe just what this team needed I thought you know um oh I had a thought I had a thought I thought the worst <laughs> thing that came out of that fight wasn't the fact that you know players were mad wasn't the fact that they were yelling it was the fact that the referee called US, called uh, USC UCLA, which I thought was just disrespectful. It made me kind of sad, to be honest. And um, you know, I, don't, I I'm I'm not gonna blame that on the team for no not making enough of a name for themselves, blah blah blah. But you know, I would I would love to see. Um, a little bit more respect on USC's name moving forward. Well, USC has to has to earn that respect, honestly. <laughs> um, I I mostly agree with you. I would say the one thing that I, I didn't love about the about the whatever you call it at halftime was the fact that Keaton Slovis was right in the middle of it. Um, yeah, get him great. out of there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he he doesn't he doesn't belong anywhere anywhere near that that type of thing where something can happen. He could get hurt. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how that you know intensity kind of plays out the rest of the season. So joining us on today's podcast, we have um, some members of the sports section over at the Notre Dame Observer. Aiden, do you have any 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 questions you'd like to ask them? Yes. Actually, the first one that I lead with might not be something that a lot of people would think of, but I just want to know if they think that what this game looks like if Notre Dame doesn't have basically what like the best kicker in college football. Some of, the, some of those field goals he made were huge, especially in a three-point game he made three field goals, I believe, and a, a few of them were pretty long distance. So I, I just want to know how, how they think this game would, would go if, uh, if they didn't have him. Hi, this is uh, Hayden Adams. I'm the associate sports editor at The Observer. There's a couple of ways to kind of interpret this. If we're talking about Dover just being out, the Notre Dame's kicker is either, they either have their punter Jay Bramblett kicking, which is not the most ideal thing in the world, or they have backup kicker Harrison Leonard kicking, and he's only gotten reps on extra points this season, so not really sure how he would have performed. But if we're just talking about Dover not contributing in the way that he did, say he misses his first field goal at the end of the first half, Notre Dame still goes into the locker room with a 14-3 lead. That changes the way Notre Dame plays a little bit, I feel like. Having the confidence 
that in your kicker like that, knowing that he could make a 40-something odd yard field goal and in a rivalry game with, you know, some pressure on him, um, gives you a little more comfort in your offense knowing that you just need to get close enough that he can kick it. And you feel even more confident, especially after he hits a a 52-yarder, which is, you know, the first 50-yarder Notre Dame had had since 2015 when the all-time kicking leader Justin Yoon hit a 52-yarder and it's tied for the third longest in school history. So I think that that gives Notre Dame a little leeway. They they probably become a little, not not necessarily um, lazy on offense, but they kind of, you know, aren't as worried about trying to get into the end zone. If Doerr, you know, misses that first field goal, then they probably don't put him out there for a 52-yarder because, uh, I mean, you just missed a 40-something yarder. But I think Notre Dame plays more aggressively. Brian Kelly had said that USC you know, was playing too deep. They didn't like the matchups between man-on-man coverage, one-on-ones. USC didn't like the matchup of, say, Chase Claypool against any of their corners, um, especially after that big play he had at the beginning. So I think, though, that if Notre Dame doesn't get those field goals, because, I mean, if you don't get any of those field goals, you're down nine points. You're down that – take that away from the final score. That's a 21-27 to margin. So Notre Dame probably gets a little more bold through the air. They probably throw it more. They probably try to get downfield. They try to find the end zone a little bit more aggressively. They don't run it as much as they did. I mean, they, you know, 308 total rushing yards to 165 passing yards probably becomes a little more balanced. And I think the defense probably steps up a little bit more for Notre Dame. Not not that they were slacking on that final USC drive, but, you know, you do feel a little more comfortable that all you really need to do is draw that drive out, burn some clock, and then recover an onside kick, worst-case scenario. So Dover definitely makes a big difference in the game, and it definitely improves USC's chances to win the game, but I don't know if I would necessarily say that it guarantees that USC wins. Yeah, I also just wanted to kind of know, I mean, obviously the Irish are one of the best teams in the country. We all know that. I'm sure you guys are very proud of that. I want to know what you guys thought about USC because, you know, they competed all game. They played like, honestly, for a lot of that game, they played like arguably the better team. I mean, there's some, you know, debate to be had around that. But I just want to know what you guys thought about USC's performance and, you know, what kind of potential you see from this team moving on to the rest of the season. USC definitely impressed me in this game, I I have to say. I always felt that they had a lot of talent, especially a wide receiver, but they're lacking that cohesiveness as a team that really puts them up there with you know the 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 elite teams, which is what they could be capable of. Um, I don't know if if it's Clay Helton holding them back. I don't know if it's uh, certain player personalities holding them back or anything like that. I don't you know pretend to know how the inner workings of the team are going. But I think this is definitely a, a top 25 caliber team. Looking at the rest of their schedule, I mean, they have Arizona, Colorado, Oregon, Arizona State, California, and UCLA left on their schedule. I think all of those games are winnable. I don't think they'll win them all, but I think they're all definitely winnable. I see USC making a bowl game this year. 
I mean, it's it's just a, a different matter when you're playing against your rival, um, your biggest rival like Notre Dame at Notre Dame, and and everybody's going to be up for that game, and and I don't know if the players are all necessarily going to be up for every single game for the rest of the season. That said, USC's running backs really impressed me, especially Step. I mean, he was just an absolute monster out there. Um, it took multiple players to bring him down on pretty much every run he had. If you combine that with th- this wide receiving core, um, I know Pittman didn't have a great game, but Brian Kelly said that you know that their 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 plan defensively was to shut him down, and and they did that. And I don't think the USC is going to face a secondary as good as Notre Dame's for the rest of the season. So this 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 season has potential the the remaining schedule i i could see usc going at best realistically i feel like they win four out of their next six games they finish seven and five and they make a bowl game and um i don't know whether or not that saves clay helton's job or not but they 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 played really well against notre dame it was very impressive and I guess one other question that I would have is USC has had trouble with mobile quarterbacks like Ian Book from Notre Dame all season, uh, but he was kind of particularly deadly against USC on Saturday. Uh, you know, how how should tr- the Trojans and Trojan fans feel about that, uh, given that it's kind of like the, the archetype of a player who has given them issues throughout the season, but also maybe kind of the highest caliber of that type of player. So... Uh, should should USC feel bad about kind of the way that he tore them tore them apart, especially towards the end of that game? In terms of their performance against him, I didn't think they really did that good of a job. In all honesty, um, Book carried it twelve times for forty nine yards, four point one yards per carry, which isn't a fantastic stat line. But Book is he's a slippery runner. He he's not the kind that'll really beat you with his speed um but but he he finds a way to get yards and on that last drive where Notre Dame scored to go up 30 to 20 he had two huge conversions one was a a first down and then one was a touchdown both with his legs because he just saw a gap and he just took off and the USC defense behind the line couldn't do anything about it a guy that will beat you with his speed who USC still has to face is Khalil Tate that that's going to be an issue because you can't commit yourself like they did against Notre Dame against quarterbacks that are better runners than Book because Book's a scamperer. He's slippery. He finds a way to score to get yardage with his feet, but he's not a runner like those other guys that they're going to face. That's going to be all for this week on Talking Troy. Again, I want to thank the sports section over at the Notre Dame Observer. And to you, our loyal listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Nathan Ackerman, and I was joined by Aiden Berg. This podcast is normally co-hosted by Amanda Sturgis, and she will be back for our next episode. See you guys then. Talking Troy is produced by Sean Flannelly, Aiden Berg, Natalie Bettendorf, Eileen Toe, and Tomas Meir.